for January 2nd, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 757. The Emperor Has No Curtains. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like, well, we're like a, a seven-part choir. You know, we're like a, uh, a harmonious, concordant uh, group of, of minor children uh, who are <laughs> pressed into uh, service, pressed into to work in the entertainment industry uh, in order to save our lives and, uh, you know, um, help the fleeing, help the help the fleeing Nazis. What what are we talking about? We're talking about the sound of music. I'm uh, I'm I'm Matt. My whistle is toot 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 toot. Uh, when I, when I do your whistle, uh, step forward and say your name. Uh, toot 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 toot. Fensel toot toot. <laughs> uh, Peter Fensel. That's me. Hello. Do 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 Markley. Markley reporting for duty in the Austrian Navy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Overthink the podcast. He's uh he's a naval hero. Austria is uh, sorry. I you know I like an American. I'm not uh, great at geography of places that are not Los Angeles. Um, but if I were uh, to turn right on Washington, right on La Cienega, right on La Tijera, left on Sepulveda, and pull into the uh, to the Los Angeles International Airport and take a plane to Austria, I believe I would find that it's landlocked. Is that <laughs> is that not so? It is now so. Yes. Uh, Do we want to talk a little bit about some of the background of the sound of music? Well, we should explain why we're talking about the sound of music this oh, week. Oh, we should right? do that. Okay. I'll, I'll thank. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that. So uh, we, we wanted to <laughs> we wanted to talk to uh, talk about the sound of music. Now, it it came up for a particular reason, and it really appealed to me as an idea for a particular reason. It came up because our good friend Mark Lee. I think the probably the the most devoted theater goer among us among the overthinking overthinkingers uh has sure, seen mo- most recently a uh, a production of the sound of music live uh in New Jersey yeah that's correct so a little bit of background on this in addition to that um sound of music huge on TikTok right now all the all gen z's are talking about it okay so this is the hot 2023 topic that you come here, um, you know, because you that's what you listen to the overthinking of podcast for. No, no, no. That's absolutely not true. You know, it might actually be true. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on on TikTok until like I hear about it six months later. It's a big the thing among the like, among Instagram. the theater kids, Mark. They duet Christopher Plummer singing Edelweiss. And they, they, I mean, you could tell me that and I would believe you. And they sing, I, the, they sing the harmony I, I parts. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. But then, so back up the truck. Back but, up the truck a little. But bit then here. you saw this. You saw this live production and was like, "Hey, yeah. what about the the sound of music?" And Pete Fenzel had not mm-hmm. seen the movie. We were shocked. Correct. We were, yes. and this is this a is gog. this is my Highlander. You know, yes. and <laughs> I'm so glad, uh, and not just because the mountains are tall. You know, right. uh, this is. Uh, I, I was so glad that we could we could pull one over on our good friend Pete Fenzel, and he watched uh, the yes. film, the Julie Andrews Christopher Plummer film of The Sound of Music, and in this m- musical masterpiece of uh, true love, of romance and marriage, of song and dance, of childlike innocence and caretaking, of uh, a rediscovery of the love of parenting and, and a rediscovery of, of, of love as, as God's plan for the novitiate nun Maria. 
Pete found in this light, fluffy, wonderful confection of song and story a brutal historical allegory of the Nazis. <laughs> Are you saying that this is an unusual way? Because I feel like that's what the movie is, right? Or- <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I, you know, I, so here's, here's the thing. My wife, Christina, had watched uh, The Sound of Music, like, I think, around this time of year with her grandparents, like every year, as a tradition. Yeah. And when the girls were little, they would stop the film at the wedding. Right. Mm -hmm. So that Mm -hmm. it was essentially a Shakespeare play and ended in a marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was this it was about this nun kind of going off into the mountains and, uh, you know, discovering some uh, discovering some romance stuff. And uh, it ends in a marriage and and everybody's happy and and uh, the the good and well and the bad and badly and uh, all's all's right with the world in the golden the golden days of the 1930s, as the you know, as the legend (laughs) says um, at the beginning. And, And you could forgive forgive someone for thinking that if uh, that is all their experience was uh their experience was of this but i still watch it pete and i i still think of it as like you know primarily a romantic comedy and the the um you know the political stuff which occupies like the last fifth of the movie right like is not is not dwelt on in you know uh directly it's not like the manifest content of the the film until the the very last sort of passage of it um whereas kind of the romance is the manifest content of the film for the for the whole first thing and the the you know terrible nazi stuff lurking lurking in the background i i you know the thing i've always tried to wrap my head around is what is the relationship with with these two plots and why does it why is it important to spend the last 15 or 20% of the time of the film but but for you it was one it was all nazis all the time is is what is what i'm what i'm hearing well, you know nazis sure we could call them nazis you know it begins uh, in the it begins in the or yes now what uh, third reich uh, austrian uh, collaborators or something so, like that so or, you here's know. The, okay so first of all the reason that you don't see this movie as primarily a historical movie is that you didn't watch the prologue which is to binge watch maybe 20 hours or so of youtube lectures from the national world war one museum and memorial in kansas city missouri oh got which it. just by coincidence i happen to have been doing while doing chores and washing dishes over the last two weeks oh got so, it no i watched so uh, like, i watched downton abbey instead yeah 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 so you probably have a different context for for saying it but no yeah the, the combination of having been going on deep dives in listening to history lectures about world war one in particular which i think is probably more important to understanding the sound of music than necessarily just starting from the perspective that it's Nazis uh, is, uh, I mean, from, from in terms of how I came to understand sound music might be not be your mileage may vary, right? There's something about putting Nazis in a movie that can make you check out a little bit about who Nazis are and what they, where they come from and what they were doing. You know, it's like, they just have those outfits and you know that they're doing terrible things and they're going to kill a lot of people, which is enough. I'm not saying that movies need to go into more depth than that, but this is a movie where they're at the very least, the choice of setting and situation invites the possibility of a much deeper consideration of what historically is happening, who the Nazis are, why they're there, what is going on. Um, I would also say that I have a, a small, very small personal stake 
in this story. And I've never seen this movie before, right? And I, I didn't – I expected it because everyone's described it as like saccharine and anodyne and I've only ever heard the songs and I never had seen the plot. I always assumed it was some sort of highfalutin, too fancy, too bland – you know, like, oh, da, 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 I sing songs and I don't do anything. I'm fancy. I live in the hills. I have a fancy dress. Right. Like, I thought that's what it was. And then you go into it and it starts with like a portentous statement of the impending end of the world and the rushing wind over the barren crags of the mountains. Right. Like and then smash cuts to a to a convent. Right. Like and it's like, oh, no, this isn't saccharine at all. This is like a daunting expressionistic piece or at least at least it starts from the standpoint of a world that's confronting those sort of things. But I would say my small personal identification with it is that part of my family's heritage is that, you know, the name Fenzel, I believe, comes from uh, a town in uh, in Germany, as it were, not in Austria, called Orionburg, where we left because the of the draconian conscription rules of the Prussian military under Bismarck and, and his successors and whatnot. I don't know exactly what year we left. Uh, but that, you know, this it was it was, you know, the people were children were basically kidnapped. You know, the whole population was like mobilized into this constant permanent state of war readiness and training and drilling. Uh, you know, the parents had no control of what happened to their families and and war was a sort of, you know, expected reality like most of the time. Uh, my great, great, great grandfather eventually got sick of it and left. Uh, and then intermarried with a bunch of nincompoops from the New York area. And now I'm here. Um, but uh, I think he actually brought his family from over there. But the point being that the town that he left by the time World War II rolls around becomes like not just one, but two Nazi concentration camps. <laughs> so like so like my family, when we whenever we sort of this comes up, that this is kind of where we're from. Uh, like distantly, you know, barely know anybody, no, know anybody from there, like long, long time ago. Um, you know, don't, don't talk too loudly about it, right? Because probably the people who are there might not be people that you want to be associated with, I guess, is the sort of, uh, understanding of that. But the idea that like, there was this place that our family was from that we had to leave and the Nazis ruined it, like with, with a, with a capital R, right, is, is not an entirely foreign concept to my family's history. Now, granted, this is a small part of my family's history. Um, there, a lot more of my ancestors come from Ireland, which, of course, they all have much cheerier stories for why they left. They all, they all left to uh, because Jedward was dominating Eurovision, and they just needed to find some other way to play to, to do a family band, right? No, no, no. It's all, it's all suffering, all up and down. But the point being that, like, I was keyed in from moment one on the intra-German story of this movie <laughs> both because you know fenzel ain't french and because uh um the uh the history of world war one that i've been consuming lately relates to this stuff pretty directly yeah, especially but, for example but, but, that but, austria has no navy right you know uh, mi- <laughs> no, no navy uh monsieur fonzelet um it seems i it seems to me that when we say german Right. Yes. Like it might, it might do with a little bit of unpacking, um, as what, uh, you know, as, uh, with what's, what's going on. Pete, what, what even is German? 
German is a concept that was invented by Julius Caesar. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not necessarily Wait, joking. Yeah. So German is a concept that was made up by Julius Caesar to refer to the people who were farther away from his army than he was willing to go. <laughs> right? Basically, that he, when he was invading Gaul, right? And he, it's, in the, it's in the Gallic Wars. I mean, I, I'm, I'm perhaps exaggerating a tiny bit, but not really. The idea of there being Germanness as an overarching concept of a group of people is something that emerges from the strategic situation and the sort of propaganda situation around the Gallic Wars and how the Romans came to regard the people on the other side of the wall, right? Like there's the people on this side of the wall and then there's the people on that side of the wall. And the people on that side of the wall are like unsuited for being truly fully Romanized because of course they're like monsters in battle, but they're also super strong and, and super fierce. And like, right. if we don't go and kill them all, like that's, that's really not on us. No, right. and it's, it's, that, like, it's that famous passage in, in the Gallic Wars, you know, which begins, uh, you know, omnes Gallia and trace partes divisa s. Uh, it's, it's when he says, we live in a world with walls and those walls uh, are guarded by men with spears. Uh, you, you want me on that wall. <laughs> you need, me on that wall and that's why we have germans today yeah but yeah so at any rate obviously over time if you really need a really crash course in like what happens to these people um a lot of them move a lot so it doesn't really stay stable you know who is who is this who is that people move people change the languages that they speak people of course uh move into intermingling with neighbors who are fairly close by that maybe don't speak the same language there's a whole bunch of different dialects certain things get in-grouped or out-grouped but Obviously, not obviously, but the simple thing is that for a big chunk of, you know, late antiquity through the Middle Ages and then into the modern era, this area that is, you know, roughly located between France and Russia become, is populated by a, a smattering of polities of different, uh, you know, princedoms and kingdoms and duchies and other sorts of, of political entities, uh, a lot of which speak some sort of German language. Uh, they may in particular have been influenced by, you know, Martin Luther's Bibles and spoken, you know, a dialect that was derived from him at some point uh, and, and, and all that stuff. There are certain particular, you know, kinds of German that end up coming to the front as there is with a lot of these different countries. You know, it's not like everybody just started spontaneously speaking Metropolitan Parisian French, right? Not everybody suddenly started speaking the Italian derived from Tuscany. There's histories for how these things get kind of spread all over the place. But in the time that we're talking about, it is it is still a situation where it's a large agglomeration of countries that exist in in either, you know, confederations or there was the Holy Roman Emperor Empire that went away in the Napoleonic era. Uh, and then and and where it resolves to in the World War One time frame is that you have two big countries left, although one of them has been very much subordinated under the other that have uh, just sort of done the final stretch of determining who's going to be in charge of all this stuff. Right. And it's uh, it, it, there's the there's the traditional old Habsburg monarchy that's Catholic. And that's in the south, south and in the north. There's all the Protestants and there's the nation of, of Prussia, which is very militaristic. Uh, and uh, and and very highly highly rigid in in terms of how it organizes human capital and stuff and um, yeah and I hear, I hear groups, they had yeah. a, a heck of a draft is what I hear you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah they 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 uh, they 
they always go for picks, right? That's, that's <laughs> the Kaiser always wants picks. It's like, what will you take? I'll take 10, I'll take 500,000 picks. I'll take 500,000 draft picks. How's that going? Um, but the point being that like gradually the, the <clears throat> traditional family of the emperor, which is based out of Vienna, Austria, um, gradually loses ground to this other more militarized, you know, country, uh, you know, kingdom within this large group of states. And as the countries in Europe are coalescing into what we think of now as, as nations, uh, you know, it's not clear what's going to happen to this big group. Is it going to be one country? Is it going to be two countries? What's going on? There's a series of wars. And you end up with two countries, right? You end up with the German empire, and this is not counting Switzerland, uh, or, or say, you know, the Netherlands, which, you know, Dutch is a Germanic language. English is a Germanic language. These are not part of Germany. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you end up with, um, we end up with the German Empire, which is basically Prussia writ large, having subsumed a bunch of other polities. And you end up with the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which follows the Austrian Empire, follows the Habsburg Empire. So the Northern Empire and the Southern Empire, each of which is pretty big and has a at least a sort of cultural claim on being the primary authority over people who think of themselves as German. Uh, but the Austrians are kind of on the way out of being this kind of thing. And that's what is where we are at World War One. And at this point, Austria is mostly consists of places that you would think of as being in the former Yugoslavia, as well as Hungary. So it's a lot of Slavs and a lot of Magyars as well as Germans. And because of that, it has coastline on the Adriatic Sea. Austria, Venice was part of Austria for longer than it was part of Italy, wow. which is kind of crazy, right? Because um, Italy is a pretty new country. So, what, so um, Pete, what, what does this have to do with uh, the, the musical uh, film adaptation of Rodgers and Hammerstein's The Sound of Music, which is a movie about seven children learning solfege and nothing else? So it actually has a lot to do with it. And I'm going to try to keep this simple because I could go off on all this stuff forever. And I've deliberately kept it casual so that I can forgive my mistakes. But it is if you ever wonder whether a movie needs more exposition or not, think of The Sound of Music where they explain almost nothing that's happening. Right. Like like it is amazing how little they explain of what's happening in this movie and how easily and intuitively the events of the movie proceed regardless the main dude in this movie is the number one Austrian submarine commander of all time, which is a, a position, a title he is unlikely to cede, given that Austria no longer has access to the ocean, right? Uh, but he was a big submarine commander back in World War I when Austria had territory on the Adriatic Sea. And because Austria, you know, lost, was on the losing side of World War I and lost a lot of territory, empire fell apart, no access to the sea anymore, he has no job. He can't he's not in there's no Navy. He doesn't have anything to do. Um, he married into money in real life and he uh, lost that money in the Great Depression. And and what is he going to do with himself? Now, this is sort of all based somewhat on the memoirs of the governess. But let's let's focus on what happens in the movie. Right. Uh, there's this little bit of information we impart into it. But the idea is that this is a military man who was raised in the military culture of the Austrian Empire. He was recognized by the emperor for his service, right? 
Um, among things that he did in his service was complete compulsory music education because military officers were expected to be aristocratic gentlemen mm. who kept to certain standards, which is not the way the modern world really works, right? Um, it's like, oh, yeah, you got to learn to play violin in order to be a submarine commander, right? Uh, because because you're a leader, right? And leaders have to be excellent. And so there's this idea of prior to World War One, I, I think, just this general idea that that if to the extent that anyone European is in charge of anything, it's because they're excellent, right? Like we're they're the best. Like why why would anybody in China or Africa listen to what people are saying in Europe? Because they're so good at what they do, right? Uh, would be one way of thinking about it. I don't think that would be the reality if you ask the people in China and whatnot, but, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the idea, right? It's like we're aristocrats. We have standards we have to uphold. We have this sort of performance that we have to do in order to maintain our position. And so much of our culture is built around hewing to this tradition. And at this point, you're in the modern world where this stuff has kind of stopped mattering because they're killing hundreds of thousands of people out there in the mud with machine guns. And it doesn't matter where they went to school. Right. And that's like the sort of big realization. So you're in Austria. Austria has been stripped of its empire. And you have this, of course, this guy, Hitler, who's taking control in Germany and has been gradually expanding German holdings into other areas outside of previously recognized Germany. And there's the question of, OK, well, what's going to happen to Austria? And this, I think, means a lot to people outside of the area. I don't know what it meant to the people inside the area because my family fled for our lives, right? Like 70 years before any of this happened. Uh, maybe no, maybe like 60 or 50 years before any of this happened. Um, but but uh, and if you want to meet more people who fled for their lives, just, you know, go to the Midwest. There's a lot of them. <laughs> uh, but uh, or any anywhere in the United States, they're a big ethnic group. But the point being that, like, there's this idea of what Germany could have been or sort of was like prior to modernity. This idea of a loose federation, confederation of, of traditional princedoms and kingdoms and empires and stuff where people lived in sort of traditional ways. And what do traditional ways mean? It means food, right? It means, you know, jobs. It means formal rules for doing things. But it also means ritual and pageantry, right? And uh, all the stuff that, you know, the Protestant Reformation is not really very keen on is particularly, I think, being expressed here as being characteristic of the Southern Catholic part of Germany, uh, which, you know, is notably very, even the parts of it that are in the German Empire, not fond of Nazis, right? Even in the elections that they were winning by so much, uh, even though the Nazi party is from Bavaria, a Southern Catholic part of Germany, this part of Germany is not like the Nazis that much, not relative to the Northern part, right? Because the Nazis are modern. They're going to change everything. They're going to bring the vigor, right? Uh, they're going to bring that energy, that modern energy of machinery and man that kind of shatters our expectations of tradition. And they're going to employ it to sort of bring the Volk to this new level. Well, I mean, if you... If you like live nestled between the Alps and you like go to the same church you've been going to, your family's going to 800 years, right? Like, and you, you know, you eat your sausages and your pretzels and you call it a day. Like, maybe that's not what you want, right? Like, maybe that's not what you're going for. And there's this idea, this dream of what Germany could have been if it hadn't been for, we like to think in America, if it hadn't been for the Nazis, I think you have to go back to World War One to like really to really like get to a point, even even before that, to get to a point where like this seems like an all possibility that Germany could have got a different way than the way it went. But um, 
in the sense of like being an authoritarian militaristic state that's being run by Prussia, at least to the point that Prussia runs itself into the ground. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just, and, and so I think what it becomes is this mythological story for people who are very fixated on the wounds of the world wars and explaining them and explaining where they come from in them and explaining it to immigrant diasporas and other people who are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I personally think that a there is a super narrative out there that Prussia is seen as sort of the man in a relationship and Austria is seen as sort of the woman in a relationship um, in a sort of masculine and feminine energy associated with kind of the destiny of Germany. Um, and uh, that I think that's a thing that's out there that Got people it. sort so of believe. Who's, who's the other dragon then, Pete? If, <laughs> if Vienna is the pearl. Right. So here's what I'm saying. Right. So this movie is is your Highlander. Right. So this movie is about a lonely man from a bygone uh, empire who was a man of war, who was <laughs> side lost and who sort of fell into obscurity. He fell in love. He got married, but she died. He lives in opulence in sort of uh, European capitals as a mysterious bachelor. He uh, he dates mysterious women, but doesn't get too attached because of his military past and because he knows that out there, there are other military men that would take his head and then his power. Right. Right. And, and so, then there's. It there's another with Germany. There's there an, so, the there's, an associ- there's an associated guy who's uh, who's you know super flamboyant, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> there's so much about the sound of music that is exactly like Highlander, it's <laughs> especially Highlander the series um, where where he lives in that houseboat. Uh, so Pete, you know, the the anyway. I, the interesting thing, right, is that you've you've sort of expanded like implication and setting and what what at most you could generously call latent content, right? Yeah. In the film, stuff that's stuff that's achieved in the film through, I mean, stuff that's probably not in a stage play at all because you couldn't really do that level of of production design and costume design, you know. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, the latent content, I think, is the, is the most that, that you could, you could call it and see in it a, uh, what did you call it? A super narrative, a kind of a, a mythological level, um, super narrative of the, you know, of the, the clash of great powers or of, of a kind of an old way of life, um, kind of disappearing from the earth under uh under you know threat of uh, you know under under kind of just constant bombardment and and uh, oppression culturally militarily uh and so on so that when um when I call it domination more domination than well there yeah. you go fair enough like, yeah. right like that that um when maria says to the children i i think we'll i hope we'll we'll come back to the house one day i hope you're standing yeah. there in the corner saying i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> hope uh, you like penn state that's where your grandkids are going <laughs> <laughs> so right but that that like um what while while you were watching this uh uh while while you were watching this sort of this uh uber narrative uh unfold <laughs> wh- you know which which co- coincidentally entirely i'm sure is also the story of the fenzel family or of a, of a wing of it um the uh w- w- what did you think of the story of a of a novice nun who goes to be a governess oh i thought it was great cuz she's <laughs> because she's gaia right and this whole thing <laughs> 
she's got she she brings a new model of of uh, of how to define national identity outside of the context of traditionalism, right? Which is by utilizing a, uh, a, a an experiential frame framework for sense of place. Right. Is that's what she does. There is. I mean, I, I think there's I, I, there is like Zizek would say ideology, right? Like is is operating here. And and one of the ideologies is that she needs to exercise the kind of the the, the moderating influence, the kind of the humanizing influence on, um, you know, on the man, right on the on the super militaristic man who makes his kids march around and like answer to answer to to whistle calls and and things like this and that like this is kind of the this is the role this role this moderating influence is the, or the ability to exercise a moderating influence is what makes the um you know is w- what makes a mother qualified to be a mother same with the mother abbess really who is very kind of understanding she seems like very emotionally savvy and like very in tune to the point attuned uh to the point of mm-hmm. of seeming indulgent to her nuns and that's because she's the mother and they're they're the sisters right like and uh so she uh, she exercises this kind of moderating influence on the kind of the rigid uh the rigid systems of of order and that's like i you know it's it's and it's associated i think with nature right whereas the male the male one is associated with uh i you know architecture uh i suppose like halls you know uh doors um like coming in going out uh sorts of things i mean one one of the really interesting one of the really interesting shots in this movie is when maria finally gets married you know the the uh nuns walk her to the nave of the church right and and then they stay behind the iron gate you know <laughs> and the you know and then she uh she processes well, creatures they can't pass through iron it's again <laughs> against the binding that was cast on them <laughs> but it is like these are catholics these are these are yeah. are are catholics C- catholic church famously or infamously patriarchal to watch this film you wouldn't know it's not run by nuns uh yeah. you know same same as sister act yeah <laughs> you know? and that um the uh uh, Christina, who's not raised Catholic, was asking me all kinds of questions about nuns on this latest, uh, this latest, um, uh, film. And I said, yeah, you know, wouldn't be too useful, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, see, I, I was, I was like, you know, Sister Act is not the worst, you know, the way <laughs> to learn about nuns. I think they actually get the dynamic between the, the abbess or the, I guess she is a mother superior in Sister Act and the priest, uh, the actual, you know, de jure uh, representative of the, uh, you know, of the church and its authority and, and so on. Like, I think they get that relationship right in, in Sister Act, at least from what I've seen between, um, uh, uh my experiences of, of, uh, setups like that, but you wouldn't know it's not, it's not run by, run by women. And so I'm, I am sort of convinced by this thing, this sort of symbolic, uh, this symbolic, um, story that you're proposing where Austria is the, uh, where Austria is the, the kind of the female or the woman and it, it is getting dominated or it is mm. getting, um, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, 
yeah, I guess dominated is the word you suggested by the the male um, Germanness, which sort of come comes down from the comes down from the north, um, and that so like I, yeah. Let sorry, me get in here. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, let me, let me get in here because like there's like so many things here. I got to circle back and I got to yeah. like multiple things going. Because you're the one who has the biggest fan of sound music, right, Mark? Or your wife is my household. I think is your the, household. Okay, the biggest, uh, sound of music uh, 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 fan. In, in that regard, yeah, my wife is a super fan of it. Um, the reason why, and that's the reason, main reason driver why we went to go see the um, the stage production of it. So let me go all the way back to kind of the super narrative piece and just like point out one very obvious thing, just as buttresses. Um, uh, that's a teaser for our eventual Glass Onion podcast, by the way. Buttresses, um, Fenzel's uh, argument of the super narrative, the Uber narrative, if you will, right? Which like it all boils. It's not. It's not hidden. It's all there on Rolf. Yeah. Rolf mm-hmm. like starts out wearing Lederhosen and ends the movie in a brown and Nazi brown shirt uniform right i mean the traditionalism is like swept away by the domineering um uh uh, um uh, nazi you know fascist from the from the north right just straight there um and like you know it's all backed up by the by the backstory that and he's the the boyfriend he's the boyfriend of the teenage girl right and it's like Mm -hmm. which guy is this woman going to end up with is it going to be the austrian is it going to be the austrian guy in the sense of like traditional you know in this, in all of these sort of naturally associated ways, this person of this, this person, this flower that bloomed on the mountain, right. Who just happens to be a boy, or is it going to be like a modern spit shined, you know, murderous man who has been kind of pressed into service by the machinery of, of modern industry. Yeah. And if we have time, let's put a pin on and talk more about Rolf later, because it's it's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, a couple other things I want to, want to put out there and then we can let the conversation go from there. Um, the notion of the, of the woman, being able to moderate the man like very much is uh, is it's, it's accurately described and kind of what's going on in this story here. And yet, ironically, right, it is the moderating influence of Maria who allows Captain Von Trapp to take an uncompromising and dare I say, like a radical stance. Right. To uh, yeah. to oppose uh, the, the Nazi regime. Right. And not go with the flow like everyone else does. Right. Yeah. So think about that. And the last thing I want to put out there is just like in terms of nuns running the show, um, I want to put this one thing from the stage production that I saw out there. And if we have time, we may come back to these other later. But this is like very relevant here, which is like this is not in the movie um, in as they're preparing for the wedding. Mother Superior gets this like surprisingly drawn out scene where the nuns are singing their Latin Catholic stuff and kind of creating ambiance. And then Mother Superior gets to put on this like blood red robe and a crown. I poop you not. <laughs> she is like coronated as what? An unclear, very unclear, right? She just gets to put on the fancy clothes to show that she is running this joint. Yep. Right? Um, nuns, we run the world. Um, yeah. is, is it is, still is the. That, like, because <laughs> that, that, that also they, they added a Beyonce number uh, to this. It was really quite shocking and, and radical. No, no, that, that it was really happen. yeah. And this oh. the the scenic design to have the kind of the neon hashtag girl boss really up across the back of the stage. <laughs> yeah, was, you know, right? a little unusual, I think, as a production choice. But you That's know, slightly anachronistic. But you know, I'll let it pass. They do yeah. they um, do things differently in Jersey, right? Yeah, I think I think that baked into this narrative of the super narrative of the modern. I, I may even call it a sort of modern homosocial masculine that is 
trying to eject the feminine, the domestic, from relevance in human affairs entirely and replace it only with the things that only men do, like war and uh, and more war and, like, finding young men and pressing them into war. And also, like, you know, lifting heavy metal things and all that other nonsense. Uh, but the point being that, like... Shining, shining are, their flashlights into the crypts, you know? Yeah, like... A- yeah, the the well, yeah, the the ultimate foolishness of it is that this ultimately does not that men are also part of nature. That human beings are also part of nature and men are also part of nature and they and they grow in the context of nature as as the sort of as the flowers that are being sung about in this movie grow. And there's a maturation that has to take place for the men in this play and this movie that takes place with the captain and it, and just that final conversation with Rolf where he's like you're just a boy and there's this realization that what is what is the counterpoint to that that i'm a man and and uh it reminds me you know there's a lot of talk about alpha males right in the culture <laughs> and you want to know who an alpha male is captain von trapp is an alpha male that's that's what an <laughs> alpha male is because an alpha male is is a is a is a man who is a male who is responsible for other organisms that can't take care of themselves Right. Like and that's that's the sort of role in these sorts of groups. Right. Is that is that a lot of times it's just a family group. A lot of the time when you're talking about like a wolf pack, the alpha male is just the dad. Right. And and if it passes from being the dad's because the dad got sick or died. Right. And somebody else came in. Right. And it's not this idea that that the person who ends up being in charge in a time of crisis isn't ought to be the like most vocal and angry and aggressive male. I think misses the idea of male maturity and the degree of self-control and continence and the ability to take difficult stands that comes with maturing. And, and I think this movie is making an argument that part of maturation is uh, opening yourself up to, in this case, what, like a feminine presence, a, a listening to a smart woman in your life who tells you things that you should do and like taking good advice and building a good partnership and not being alone and not being like frantically needy all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Having that mm-hmm. confidence and satisfaction and affirmation of having that partner in your life who also happens to be like this person who's really sexy that you love being around. Right. Is like part of what makes him strong enough to be able to face down an armed Nazi you know, a uh, foot soldier, 25 years younger than he is, right? Like who's pointing a gun at him while he's unarmed with anything but a guitar, right? Like, and it's not like a cool guitar, like Desperado that shoots rocket launchers. <laughs> a regular guitar. This is not Robert Rodriguez does the sound of music, which would be amazing. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> no, we have to perform the big dance where all the Nazi, the senior Nazis are coming and we're going to bring Quentin Tarantino and, and, uh, and the, and the, uh, the little lyric sheets that the kids have are all landmines that they're just going to throw into the audience. <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned uh, Captain Von Trapp and the guitar and, you know, the, the final number and things like that. I just want to like drop, uh, my favorite piece of sound in music trivia, which is like many, many people think that Edelweiss, the song that he sings in that scene, um, is a traditional Austrian folk song. No. Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote that. It is an original. Yep. It is, in fact, the last song that they wrote together before, um, um, I believe it was Hammerstein, um, passed away. Um, and the Austrians, I am told, are not very happy about this misconception, <laughs> which is really too bad because the song is freaking beautiful. Um 
and and very moving and also like uh, a, a huge testament to the musical prowess of uh, of, of Rodgers and Hammerstein. They're, they're almost, they they're almost as pissed off as the people in the Southwest who make Surrey's without the fringe on top. <laughs> Everyone just wants the Surrey with the fringe on top all the time. Not authentic. <laughs> not authentic. It's not the only kind. There's other kinds of Surrey's. I don't know what any of that means, but it's, uh, you know, I do know that that this is the real nice clam bake is the official song of the state of Massachusetts and has been since uh, 1620. No, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Rhode Island. Who am I kidding? But I think that <laughs> the, the, uh, there's a there is a slightly or there at least is room for a, a slightly more kind of Calvinist interpretation here, because, like, mm-hmm. remember, he doesn't learn out of whole cloth. You know how to be a mature man and how to you know uh, like uh, oh no no, no. Uh, operate in partnership with yeah. with Maria. He he had been married before, right? And like it's when it's described in the film, it's like he's been um, you know there used to be music, right? And it's like it's sort of given as like a real a reawakening, right? It's like how how Georg got his his groove back it is like the the narrative that the his name is Georg, isn't it? Uh, but, but how, how the captain, you know, kind of mm. gets his, um, uh, uh, re reawakens the music and like, he knows how to it's pl- gay.org is his name. <laughs> don't go there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> the, uh, um, it's not that, profit though. So that's encouraging. <laughs> he's got, um, it's, it's actually spelled G E O R G. So not okay. quite how you expect to do it. You know? okay. Uh, the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that like he he might be just one of the elect is is what I'm saying. Like he he might be one of the okay guys who uh, you know who is capable of of um, operating like this. And it's not it's not totally clear if Maria's sort of uh, what we're describing as her moderating influence would work on uh on a different guy uh you know yeah. you know what i mean um and that's and i mean that's the big ultimate persuasive argument against monarchy and aristocracy right which is that like what if it's not a good guy yeah. right? like, what, what, if, what if that guy was also a horrible anti-semite right like which which given the time and place probably was yeah. right? like it's uh but no but yeah exactly it's like it's well he because he because maria is also presenting this argument that the, the the world is in musical concert with itself and with all of the people in it. And as such, uh, you know, that that the music that is out there is kind of already in you, you know, because it's already in the mountains, like the wind that's passing through the mountains is music. You know, we are all made of stardust, except instead of stardust, it's like alpine rock. Like we're all made of Alpen dust. We're all made of, of Avion. No, that's not. Is that from the Alps? I, I think seem to remember. It's the French Alps, though. Totally different. Those mountains really care what country they're in, by the way. They're really they're very, very, very big difference. A Swiss Alp smells different than a French Alp. I'll tell you that much when I imagine them. They don't. I don't know. I don't know the difference. But yeah, no, totally. I like he. Well, he's a he's a worthy, right? He, yeah, he is a uh, he's totally like it's ironic that it's the Catholic side, but he's like the sort of the predestined hero who has been made of the right stuff that he'll kind of come around. This, this takes it back to the American cinematic tradition following from the, the uh, Jacobite tradition, right. Of like, well, you know, the good people are in charge of the rebellion because they're good people and they have personal virtue. And, you know, and like, that's why they won't accept the domination of an evil government. 
And that's why, you know, Bonnie, Prince Charlie, and, you know, you take the high road and I take the low road. And that's like the lost cause and all that stuff is the idea that there were there were gentlemen once who were willing to do this. And, and uh, it is it should be self-evident from the quality of their character that they should be given uh, unlimited authority to do whatever it is they want to do with themselves, uh, whether it's drive a submarine through the middle of the mountains or like take a bunch of children into a mountain pass, which I don't think they did in real life. I think they rode a train. Um but yeah, yeah, it's uh, or something along those lines. But yeah, exactly. I, I hear what you're coming from on this one. Um, I definitely hear what you're coming it's from. It's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that the like the idea of family harmony is is figured as like being a singing group. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. a, a sort of neat uh, that's a neat little thing, right? And so, like, I don't know. Set against it's interesting. Set against the kind of the the chaos or the kind of the inhospitable character of the overmasculinized. A political sphere there is the there is the domestic sphere which is what aligned with nature which is more kind of uh which is inclusive of and like um uh, you know incorporates the feminine uh and and which is uh a whole bunch of children singing you is, know? There, is there some it would be great if this movie enumerated some sort of list of the good that you could use to generate a taxonomy mm, of like its if values. Only, yeah if only there were some sort of like litany you know of like things like favorite things that it's like <laughs> what should we break down the favorite things is that something we we should uh we should do because i there's something i mean that that's are, what that's that what the people pay for <laughs> um so i i mean i for one am interested in and in, in the favorite things list uh insofar as natural phenomena right so let's categorize them there's natural phenomena Raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens, right? Um, and then there's uh, wild geese, ponies, right? Um, and then there and dog, and then, but there's also dogs and bees and other things that are kind of bad about nature, right? So there's good things about nature and there's bad things about nature. And then there are things that are associated with uh, comfort in a generic sense. So mittens, kettles, uh, get kettles. Well, we could pause and come back to the kettles, right? Mutton, kettles, mittens, pack, uh, presents, like packages, right? Um, but the thing that, that – and doorbells. You know, somebody rings the doorbell. That makes you make you happy. The thing that gets me is the apple strudels and the schnitzel with noodles as being listed in a part with the natural phenomenon, which are also listed as a part with, like, physical comfort. So and physical comfort is a natural phenomenon It's the sort of extent is this extension of, uh, you know, the reason a copper kettle makes you happy might be because it provides you with warm liquid when you're cold, which is similar to the idea of like you have a relationship with nature. And uh, and so your happiness is is best exemplified by like a positive and functional and healthy relationship with nature where you are not like being stung by a bee or bitten by a dog. Right. But are in fact, like, you know with your loved ones who are also products of nature and products of you potentially. Right. So like, but then the idea that these very specifically German things are thrown in there. Right. And, and um, I think regional German things. Um, well, I mean, I, I didn't do the, do the homework on that. So I'm not sure. Probably they come across as pan German things. I can only say that uh, when I took the pilgrimage to Salzburg, Austria, one of the stops on the tour was a uh, lovely little hamlet where they served Christ apple strudel. So it's a thing. It and I also did eat schnitzel. Um, it's yeah. in Salzburg. And that did, you, did you eat it with noodles? Uh, I, I can't say. I missed it. You know what? Got to go back again. 
<laughs> or with or <laughs> with like dope. like Spetsley or something like that. Like it's know. probably is that bad, the same. Actually, yeah. Isn't it? Is that basically a noodle? It is. Okay. Yeah, it's a noodle. Next hour but... of this podcast. <laughs> noodles. I've seen the made on guys grocery games. That's why I ask. Although maybe in tournament of champions, Guy Fieri <laughs> occasionally trots in there. But but the point being that that natural things for these people include traditional German things, and there is not a taxonomical distinction between the two. That like wearing later, and this is here's here's a fun thing we should start checking on. If there is a play within the play of anything, what is the play within the play about? Like, what is the story of the play within the play or the movie within the movie? And, and like, let's not leave that unexamined. I think the story of the goat herd and the goat is important, right? The goat yodels in the mountains. The goat herd yodels in the mountains. The goat is incapable of making choices based on cultural preference or fashion, right? The goat is not in- influenced by the reparations contract with France, right? Like, the goat <laughs> is the goat, and it lives in the mountains, and it does what goats do. And the goat herd also lives in the mountains and does what goat herds do. And what they do is be German, because the mountains they're in are German, or Austrian, right? They're, they live in the Austrian mountains. They do Austrian things. They live Austrian lives. What does that involve? Having sex with Austrian people, having Austrian children, right? Like, only because that's who's there, right? And, and it's all part of nature, uh, and, also, and, also, Pete. To be fair, an Oompa band, you know, an Oompa band, yeah, and, uh, and yeah, which is in the puppet show, right? And big Very steins, impressive. big steins, full of pilsner with like a really fluffy, like soap suds, like head on top of it. The lack of beer in this movie is shocking. <laughs> if they remade this movie, there better be more beer in it because I would expect the beer just to be flowing wall to wall in this movie. It is so American that nobody in this movie is ever drinking beer other than a puppet who gets sloshed. <laughs> <laughs> The puppet just gets tanked. The puppet just gets hammered. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It's and, like- he, and even like um, when, well, uh, you could you could say that they're they're part of like an a, an aristocratic transnational, you know, French influenced, uh, right? Like overclass, but like they're you not know, that wh- far from Davos. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they end up, right? When they um, when uh, you know, when Lisa is talking about um. Uh, you're 16 going on and 17. The, the lyric, I, I heard the lyrics in that song, uh, a little more clearly this time. And it's, you know, it's always something else that, that sort of stands out for you. One of the reasons it's a sort of great musical is that you can go back to it and back to it. And her, her, uh, thing about men, about like how she's, she feels like kind of ill prepared to face the world of like adult courtship, um, is the line is, uh, uh bachelor dandies, sippers of brandies. What do I know of those? Uh, and that, that's, that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> you know, it should be like, uh, um, uh, guys in the hills there sipping their pills there. What do I know of those? That's probably more it or like, you know, um, uh, or, you know, like a short later Hosen, um, Beers by the dozen, dozen. <laughs> what do I know of that? Right, where like the- went those fenzels eating some pretzels? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not enough pretzels in German movies from the back in the day. But yeah, and I, w- I will also say just quickly, it is rather convenient that this movie totally neglects the fact 
that until extremely recently, the Austrian nation has dominated a large multi-ethnic empire with a, a uh, emperor that has not only been from the same nationality, but the same family for almost the entire time, like barring like five years. So it's all well and good that this is like Austria for the Austrians, but Austria was never for the Austrians, right? Like uh, this is, this well, is no, a very was, much I like, mean, Pete, I think to be fair, Austria was for the Austrians. It's just a whole bunch of other places were also for the Austrians. <laughs> just, let's mm. name country. I'll name a country and you tell me if it was ever rule, ruled by the Austrians. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> oh God, it's probably, it's probably going to be yes. times. <laughs> By multiple yeah, different go, Austrians, <laughs> right? Like, my again, through the throne of Philip II Habsburg, right? Uh, Croatia, right? Well, clearly, yeah, Croatia, oh, Dalmatia, yeah. the Netherlands, right? Um, yes, <laughs> like <laughs> parts of Belgium, yeah, they just they sure did that, right? Like, uh, um, the Philippines, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh, like, then, like there are a lot of there are a lot of road there are a lot of bureaucratic chains that at one point went through Vienna. And the the if anybody who has any leg to stand on in terms of like, please just let my people alone so that we can live in accordance with our own tradition. The Vienna has not a single leg to stand on with regards to. That. Oh, sure, yeah, but but to be clear, right? Like Vienna, we're in um, is name check. Vienna is, is kind of thrown in the same bucket with Berlin as places that are far away from Salzburg. That's true, that's true. Right? That's true. That For all intents and purposes, Australia is Salzburg and their world and Salzburg is comprised of like the places that um, you that, said Australia, but it still works. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all we know, Salzburg's in Australia rather than Austria. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about the sound of music, mate. Um, yeah. Austria is comprised of Salzburg and Salzburg is comprised of the places where the kids play and also um, uh, the convent. He like, does, that's kind of it. That's he does. Uh, he does spend a little time out by the Billabong waltzing Maria, uh, and that's um, <laughs> you know uh, that's a, definitely a scene that that happens in the movie. Yeah, I mean that's. But uh, sure, there's there's a little bit of like you know there's a little bit of like real America ing right going on right. Oh, yeah, 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 you know that's uh, yeah Vienna is true, and you know the Baroness is is from Vienna, right. and she says yes, I'm very, going very I'm going back to Vienna where I belong. You know, yeah, yeah. and. And so it is, you know, the, the, the house is a model of civilization and it's, it's a model of, uh, I mean, sort of over militarized at the beginning, but then kind of more harmonious at the end. But it is set, it's set in a landscape, you know, and the, the kind of the power of, uh, the power of cities to overcome landscape, I think is a bad thing in the, uh, in the kind of moral cosmology of this movie and, and, uh, setting a city or setting a house like in the context of landscape so that it's not, um, so that it's, you know, habitable, but, but not, um, uh, it doesn't like obliterate everything right. around it. This, you know, this is good, right? Right. Very importantly, right. That's like right on the lake. Um, like the, the kids and Maria, um, make their entrance, right. To meet the Baroness on the boat and they all spill into the water, right. And come, you know, this one, the shore or dripping wet, um, to really to highlight that divide. Um, if I may, like, if we start to get to the end of this here, like, I want to throw a couple of things. The end? We haven't even started. Oh, this jeez, I know, right? We have to talk yeah. about each song and break down all the lyrics. <laughs> um, let's put it this way. Like, I, I wanted to, since we talked about the Baroness, I want to bring up one of the very important differences between the stage show and the movie, which is that there's a song that is cut, I think rightfully so, ultimately, for the, from the movie that is in the stage show, um, which uh, it, it, it's it's the weakest musical number for sure in it. Um which basically the, the song basically amounts to like there's no stopping it 
like what's gonna happen is gonna happen and it is sung primarily by the baroness is basically saying like eh, nazis are coming what are you gonna do go with the flow baby um and so that what the important function of the song is doing is that it gives a political rationale for captain von trapp calling off the marriage in the movie it's basically like the baroness sees him making eyes at maria and can tell that he's in love with her and not in love with with herself and she's like okay all right i'm out of here this is like this is uh you know this is this is not my scene um you you do you do you captain um and this it is very explicitly um the captain is not happy about how um the baroness is um not going to oppose the nazis and is basically okay which is kind of you know um, collaborating with them eventually because it's just inevitably, inevitably going to happen. One thing, I mean, one thing that like s- strikes me as wrong about this movie is how well she takes it. Right when she's thrown over for the for the younger, prettier version. Right. Right. Um, I'm not even sure prettier the the younger version. Right. Um, more the younger the, version who's like marginally less likely to be in a Hitchcock film. And more right, exactly. More <laughs> more rustic. The younger yeah. kind of more more rustic. Right. You know, less sophisticated uh, version. She takes it. She takes it so well. But also, there's kind of like no price paid. You know, this is this is one of these like kind of laws of drama things where like when there's a big rupture, there kind of has to be a, a price paid for it. There has to be like repercussions. You know, you drop that big a dookie in the toilet, there's going to be some ripples. Uh, <laughs> it's going to splash right, back like at maybe, you. You know, like um, you know, tweaked a tweaked a, a lever of power in the Nazi regime and got. Um, it helped accelerate his um, conscription, you know, his, yeah, and call him to service. Yeah, and that's a that's a whole right, and that that's a uh, I don't know, it, it it I don't know, it struck me as false, just how like oh, I guess you know, I guess like we've invested all this time in each other, but then this like young hot nanny comes along, and of course your heart sings when it's with her, and so I'll quietly recede into the background as a you know still extremely vital but slightly older and very powerful and rich woman properly should do i don't know it it, it rang false to me yeah i feel like the movie misses a couple i mean either misses them or these are things that might have been apparent to people watching the movie at the time like one of the things i pick up is like maybe people at the time watching this movie really care that that the nun is a virgin you know, like maybe that's something that registers with people, even though they don't really talk about it other than being obsessed with white flowers and and all that nonsense. But um, but yeah, if you were to do I feel like The Sound of Music would be really interesting to do now to stage now because you could make a lot of different sorts of changes, but you would probably have to change some of the book. You'd have to add something like she has to have some sort of opinion about being modern rather than about being Austrian. Right. Like she has to like rather than being traditional uh, and in traditional in the sense of of uh, not permissive, but like, um, you know, in, inoffensive, you know, <laughs> like like generally helpful and restorative and healing as opposed to like injuring and violent and uh, and and painful to others. Right. Pete, just to be clear, um, are you talking about like um, changing the setting of the story itself? Like into the modern day? No, I would or, love or just to st- staging an original, uh, you know, with, with the original story, but with like different uh subtleties that um more modernize it i felt like the sound of music the movie was a very american wilsonian idea of what it might be like 
to be in Austria at this time. Yeah. And and it would be interesting to see someone stage it who had more sensitivity to some more uh, more more complex, more nuanced ideas about what it was really like. You know, who is this person really backing? What's going on? I mean, Austria had a fascist government at the time. You know, maybe she has a relation. It's it's not like the Nazis are the only fascists to ever exist. You know, it's it's uh, even though in movies, that's usually how it has to be in order to keep things simple, um, unless it's Mussolini. Right. It's like one of the two um, or you're watching Man in the High Castle and and, and whatnot. But it's like um, even then, that's not what am I talking about? That's not. But the point being that, like, what is it that she's doing? If 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 we're signaling to the audience that later Hosen and Schnitzel means that somebody is, you know, not a sort of dehumanized modern killer, but is somebody who's willing to love and grow and nurture and and find strength in that. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're appealing to traditional culture and reinventing. What we're doing is we're not necessarily preserving the emperor of Austria. We are tearing down the emperor's curtains and re-sewing them into clothes for children. (laughs) We are reforming rather than like tearing down and destroying the society, right, Uh, in order to acknowledge the, uh, the, the importance of the like most vulnerable people who live there who are the children, right? Um, what it's. Is, I mean, yeah. it is. It is true. Like one of the most important messages that fiction can convey is that the emperor has no curtains. Yes, <laughs> because they were made into clothes. See, it comes full circle. <laughs> but yeah, no. The I mean, I, you could do it in another place. You could do sound of music in another place. It would be tough. You'd have to find a pretty good yeah, place to do hard. it. It would feel pretty forced. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let me let me uh, add a couple of different things from from the stage yeah. show here, which are very important to the conversation. The first one is that seeing a, a movie and on the screen you see the swastikas and those Nazi stormtroopers and things like that. It's one thing. I, frankly, like we've kind of become desensitized it, right? After how many repeat viewings of Indiana Jones movies and so on and so forth. Seeing it on stage in real life with like snappy looking white dudes with swastika red armbands and a ginormous swastika banner on stage, that's a whole other thing. As the kids say, as the TikTok kids say these days, it hits different. Okay, so like, um, it, it, so I mean, that's you know, the, the the question that has been not asked, but is kind of you know uh, unasked uh, now is asked directly here. Like, you know, what is worth of of, of staging the sound of music uh, in, in 2023, 2023? It's like, okay, that right, you know, show like you know, kind of the 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 horrifying nature of fascism, like you know, straight up in in real life, and kind of like shove your face into it and make it make it. Um, Visceral and unavoidable. So there's that piece of it. The other thing, and which I really want to talk about with you guys, is the character of Rolf. Okay, mm-hmm. so just to recap here, like Rolf goes through the story beats here in the movie that are notably different in the state show. At the beginning, it's basically the same. You're 16 going on 17. You know, he's he's, he's, he's he doesn't come off as you know he comes off as very uh, paternalistic and kind of condescending to Lysel. Fine, all fine and good. He delivers the telegram and is basically like you know shows up in you know starting to become a Nazi. I think he like he has the uniform but not the armband. He's basically like um, Captain von Trapp needs to follow orders if he knows it's good for him. And then he shows up at the end where, um, you know, there's like this arc he goes through and when he confronts the family in the graveyard, which is like, I'm going to turn you in. And then Captain Von Trapp is like, no, you're just a boy. Give me the gun. You'll never be one of them. And then in an instant like that, then he turns on them again. Right. And Rolf has been lost to the dark side. That's how it goes in the movie, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's yeah. he does the he yeah. he he threatens the one thing that that Rolf cared about more than anything, which is belonging. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
So, which is interesting though, because it's like, you know, come with us, right? You know, be, be part of our family, belong with us. But you no, know, he, he rejects that and he, he wants to, to, to belong with the other nah, people. Too much, people. Too, too much girl, too much girl stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants yeah. To, to exercise on the, you know, he wants, the, to, he wants the to with, uh, yeah, exactly. With a bunch of shirtless dudes. Mm, yeah. So in the stage show, um, like, let me go back to the scene where he delivers the telegram, right? He comes in like, you know, he's cause a jerk. He's an a-hole, but he also is very much like wink, wink. You better leave Austria. If you know what's good for you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And like, and the characters like very just explicitly say like, Oh, I think he was warning us. Um, and then, in the confrontation at the end in the graveyard. Um, at first, it seems like he's going to alert his commander that the family is there. And then Liesel steps in between Rolf with the gun and Captain Von Trapp. And in that moment, he backs down. And he calls out to his commander, no one here, all clear. And that's it. He's gone. Just really interesting, right? And it's, it goes back to um, the... the uh, the the musical number that that was cut before which is basically you know you, there's no stopping it um you know the, the the political it's a more complex political message on stage right which is that this character of rolf right is kind of caught up in history and he is very torn and conflicted himself as opposed to the movie where it's just like ah eh, he's got a heel turn he's an enemy now like f that guy um you know <laughs> we'll deal with him uh uh at the hague uh, after the war is over <laughs> Really interesting. Yeah, because he's the kid, the Nazi kid. Um, and and there's that appeal to him to not to sort of be a boy, right, to like not mm-hmm. rush being a man and to, to seize that power before he. Yeah. And I, I should have like, I, I don't really have a preference either way. Like that scene in the end of the movie is really interesting and it's like so full of tension. Like, I don't yeah. want to like, take that away. And it's like so heartbreaking as well. When he did, when he has that final heel turn, so yeah. um, that works in its own right and its own way. But the the version of the stage show works in its own way as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if if I were to do it in the stage show now, I would lean into the place mattering more because that seems to be idea wise where the play is is like where they are. Like the hills have the music, right? And so like in the they the movie starts with like the wind rushing through the mountains. And it's really strongly implying like just to be listening to things like this. There's sort of a 433 thing happening where if you if there's nothing there, you can listen to the music of the hills, which is suggestion, which is basically like, you know, Footloose is evil. Trying to stop people from singing and dancing is evil because nature sings if all you do is listen to it. And so then this confrontation in the graveyard, because because it goes from there and then it goes to the Von Trapp house, which is totally silent which it shouldn't be because it should be full of the sounds of children. Right. And so like, and then we learn from these different sounds, how we should feel about the life in these different places. And it seems to either drop off or just get too complicated to follow through the rest of the movie. But like that graveyard scene, I think it should matter more that it's in a graveyard, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. weird. It's weird that they meet in a graveyard and nobody dies or nobody they know is dead. You know, like, like, would it be something like, Maybe if I were to stage it, and again, I mean, it would probably be, I don't mean to violate history or something. There would be more people at the beginning who are Rolf's friends, and they would, like, vanish. 
Like, like, and Rolf, like Rolf would have a cadre of friends and then like something like I would have some sort of like psych that has the graveyard up or like there'd be a stage, there'd be some way of constructing the stage wherein the graveyard is a presence that comes back more than once in the story. And then as the story goes on, the graveyard has more graves. And so I would want it to be like the first time that Rolf and Lysel meet. It's weird that Lysel and meet, uh, Lysel and Rolf meet alone and then, and then Rolf and her father meet alone. It just feels too similar. Like there should be more of an arc about either like moving into or out of society. So I might position the first meeting between the Rolf and Lysel in like a crowded place. And then I would put the last one that being like totally alone in a graveyard full of like the graves of his friends. I mean, it's right. And uh-huh. he sings, he sings the reprise, which is, you know, the graves are alive with my <laughs> best friend's corpses. <laughs> and then he goes on to write <laughs> the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's, that's the Lord of, that's the world war one sound of music, not the world war two sound of music. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which is just the one where he's like all of his friends are dead in the first like six months of the story. Uh, and then he has to make new friends and then they die too. Um, <laughs> I think we might have to leave it there. Guys. <laughs> I think we might have to this, look, this is the life of pie movie. This is the one where the tiger eats the child. Oh, the tiger yeah, is literally right. Hitler. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. It goes there, right? But the child is, the child is a country here. The actual children get away, which is pretty good. At least they explicitly tell you. At least they tell you that it's rated G at the beginning. I was very – I would just definitely say – I know you said leave it here. But I will say it was surprising that this was rated G because there are scenes in this movie where armed Nazis are hunting children. <laughs> and like, and my two-year-old son came out of his room because he heard Do Re Mi and he loves that song. Uh-huh. And it's like <laughs> – and then, and then oh, he comes out of his nap. You know, he had to put it back down. He came out of his nap and it's like the scene where the Nazis are hunting children. And it's like, man, you know – People have a story like, you know, I have two daddies and are like, how am I going to explain this to my kids? And I'm like, how am I to explain to my two year old what it's like to, you know, Hide what does it Nazis. mean to be shot? <laughs> what does a gun do? <laughs> right? Like, what's a Nazi? <laughs> like, what's uh, why would a Nazi hunt a child? Like, why are they? What is that place they're hiding that has all those gravestones? What is a gravestone? That's a lot to dump on a two year old who is barely commanding the English language what's, at all. What's with the scary spider on the flag? Dad? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the yeah, maybe the scary spider makes people cross, or what is she that makes people afraid? Is what she says, right? <laughs> makes people nervous. All right, we we, we really should leave it there. This okay. is this was a great uh, this was a great great to be here for your first time, Pete. Happy New Year! As your yes. as your white Edelweiss flower gets crushed under the heavy jackboots of the you know goose stepping troops uh, marching across marching across marching diagonally across the the Salzburg Plaza there um well this was this was great listen we don't like to call it we don't like to call our shot but there's probably some some uh just like we like uh schnitzel schnitzel with noodles we like some onions made of glass that's that's probably something that's coming in our future so you know if you took uh took that on as homework over the next couple of weeks sometime you probably probably wouldn't be disappointed um i'm just i Not like just to- about me eating christmas ornaments <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i <laughs> Oh man! I go to the Netflix when my mouth is hungry. I know I shall eat all the ornaments. The uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably do that at some some point in the future. And and uh, hey, everyone, happy New Year! You know, happy twenty twenty three. Hope it's a we hope it's a good one for you. Hope the whole overthinking it family, extended family, and and you know, friends of our smart, funny friends are uh, you know healthy and safe and thriving and and continue to be so. Um, 
yeah, we wish you wish you all the best uh, for that. We'll be back. Whatever it is, we'll be back for it next week. Uh, until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Okay, okay, okay. So, in the first song, right, Mary says that the songs in the hills have been playing for a thousand years, right? This isn't a coincidence, because how long did the Nazis say that the Third Reich was going to last? I don't a know. Thousand, five... A thousand years, right? And then how long did the Third Reich actually last? 525,600 like tw- minutes. 12 years. Sorry. That's that's a difference of 988 <laughs> years. <laughs> but they didn't go over. <laughs> so I think that the price is right. No, that's not. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>